We are going to be in the book of First John this morning. First John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, if you would like to go ahead and turn there. Uh, we will be there shortly. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, the scripture will be on the screen behind me when we get to that point. So we are continuing in our study on First John. Uh, I got to uh, listen on the way home, actually, yesterday uh, to Joel's sermon last week. Thought he did a great job filling in. Hopefully you guys uh, were here to appreciate that, those of you who weren't in New Mexico with us. Uh, but he continued that idea of thought of, of John focusing on light and love, uh, especially on the idea of love and the way that we love one another in a practical sense, with hands and feet in the flesh. Joel talked about uh, the Gnostics. He kind of filled you in a little bit more on, on, those, on those individuals, uh, the people who were causing problems in the, in the community, that the church community that John founded, uh, that he planted, uh, these people who were sharing some sort of secret knowledge and were leading people astray, leading themselves astray, and acting as if they knew more about God, but showing in reality that maybe they knew less because of their inability to love one another. But before we jump in this morning, let me ask you kind of a personal question. I'm going to ask you about your medical history a little bit. Does anybody here currently take or have you ever taken the cholesterol-reducing drug Lipitor? Anybody ever taken or take? Okay, a few of you have raised your hand. I'm asking that question for a reason, so just bear with me for a second. Uh, Lipitor's patent, uh, which expired in 2011, resulted in over $125 billion in profit for the pharmaceutical parent company Pfizer that owned Lipitor. It is the most lucrative drug that has ever been created because of that. Why was it so profitable? Because Pfizer, through Lipitor, offered the only medical avenue to reducing one's bad cholesterol thanks to that patent. Nobody else could do what they were doing because they had it patented. And so that's why that drug was used more than, money-wise anyway, used more than any other drug in history. There was no other source for this potentially life-saving drug. And in 1 John 4, 7-12 through 12, that we're about to read, John instructs his community about the nature of love, that it, too, has one singular source. And it is even more life-saving than some medical drug that we might take. That someone has a patent on love, and his name is Jesus Christ. But unlike any other patent, this patent will never expire This patent is God and in God alone, and he is the sole source for all time of love and everything that is loving in our world. Again, John is writing to a community that he helped find, that he planted, and he's writing to them about the basics of what it means to be a Christian, a Jesus follower, writing mainly in response to a group of people who were sharing that they had some sort of secret, special knowledge that other people didn't have access to, and that they had pride in themselves because of that, and that pride, that desire to set themselves apart was causing great division in the body. And love for John, and for all of Scripture really, is at the heart of the basics of what it means to be a Christian, a Jesus follower. And it seems to be his favorite subject in the letter. And again, in 4, 7 through 12, he shows his community along with us why love is so important. Why we need to act it out in a practical sense like like Joel talked about last week. And where love ultimately comes from. And the takeaway that I want you to leave with this morning is this. In loving one another, we make the invisible God visible. 
The words of John that we're about to read were written to a group of believers, again, in the midst of division. Some of them had traded the most basic of all of Jesus' teaching to love God and to love one another in for the allure of secret knowledge and the feeling of superiority that comes with such knowledge. And in their quest to know more about the ways of God, they actually ended up knowing less about God and distancing themselves from the God that they thought and the God, the God that they thought they knew, the God that they took pride in knowing more than anyone else. The God who is both the source and the greatest example of love that the world has ever seen. Again, our scripture for this morning, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Love is from God, John says. True love comes from no other place. Without God, there is no such thing as love. Of all of the things we say about love in our world and in our culture, of all the songs that we sing, of all the poetry that has been written, of all the pickup lines that have been delivered, there is no true understanding of what love is outside of the knowledge of God. He is the singular source of love. If anyone wants to wrap love up in a different package outside of knowing God, having a relationship with him, they are selling you a counterfeit. They are selling you, when we go back to the Lipitor metaphor, they're selling you a generic drug that's not as good as the real thing. Not even close to as good as the real thing. And you see that in the world as well, don't you? You see what the world often calls love being wrapped up in different packages and sold to us as if it's the real deal only for us to find out eventually that it's not. Eventually that that person who said that they will love us to the moon and back and, and these individuals who write songs about how their love will never end, their love will never fail, we realize that all of those loves are temporary. All of those loves are conditional. The only place in all of creation where we can find a truly eternal and truly unconditional love is in the person of Jesus Christ who made manifest the love of the one true God. God is the singular source of love. Without God, there is no such thing as love. And so when we think about love as Christians, when we think about loving our community, it can be very easy for us to make it about us. It can be very easy for us to make it about how much we can muster up love for other people about how we can pat ourselves on the back for how much we love God or how much we love other people that God calls us to love. And while those things are certainly important and God calls us to that, that we'll see here in a minute, that's not where we should take pride. Because for the Jesus follower, 
that Jesus' follower boasts not of his love for God, but of God's love for him. This is where we ought to celebrate, and this is where we ought to take pride and take joy. It's not in our ability to love, but in the fact that God loves us, because that's where love originates. Just a few scriptures later, John will say in verse 19 that we love because he first loved us. Uh, a church I was at previously in Bron, that was kind of like our, our mission statement verse. It was there before I even began. And I'd always struggled with that verse because we love because he first loved us. It, it, it made it seem like there was from a worldly perspective, I struggled with that because it made it seem like I couldn't love without God and I couldn't make myself agree with that early on in life. I was thinking that surely I'm a good enough person that I would be able to love without first being loved. No, that's not the case. I've been around long enough now and I've seen myself and I've seen the world enough to know that if it were not for the source of love coming to me and then eventually through me, that I would not be a loving person. That I would not understand what love truly is. It comes from God. And so when it comes to loving other people, celebrating love, we boast first in the, in the fact that God loves us, not in how awesome and loving we are to God and other people. And we see the love of God most clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate manifestation of God's love. It's seen in him becoming, as John would put it, the propitiation, that's in my English Standard Version, for our sins. That word doesn't get used a lot in our language today. It, it means an atoning sacrifice for someone. We understand this in our theology that God put Jesus on the cross to atone for our wrongdoing, to be a substitute for the punishment that we deserved in our sinful state. And in taking that upon himself, he atoned for our sin. He took our place. And he made manifest the love of God. Made manifest. Again, in my English standard, that's what John says in verse 9, that Jesus has made manifest the love of God. That word in the Greek, it means to be revealed. It means to have the curtain pulled back. It means to be shown for what is truly going on. Much of what we would think of the idea of the revelation of Jesus Christ and, and John, same author, pulling back the curtain so that we can see what is really going on. Jesus does that when it comes to the love of God. He, he says the, the final scripture that we read there in verse 12, he says that no one has ever seen God, but we have seen the love of God in Jesus Christ. The curtain has been pulled back. And God's love has been revealed to us in what Jesus did for us. So God is the sole source of love. And the greatest example of his love is the person of Jesus Christ. God, John goes on to say that the one who knows God loves, or the one who loves knows God. This is an important thing to point out in John's context because, again, there are some that are claiming to have a special knowledge of God to know God in a way that no one else does, but they are failing to love their brothers and sisters in Christ. And so John is pointing out that the one who truly knows God loves people. To know God is to love. You see, sometimes we make knowledge of God into an academic pursuit, into an intellectual pursuit into cataloging scripture and, and cataloging beliefs and cataloging religious arguments 
so that we might know better than other people. Surely you never do this. I know that, that we Baptists, we're the most humble of all denominations, and we certainly don't measure ourselves against anyone else. We take great pride in that humility. Can I get an amen in that one? Okay, maybe not. Maybe, maybe we're hitting a little too close to home. Maybe we're a little more prideful than sometimes we would like to admit, and we can easily fall and slide into this trap of making religion making the pursuit of Jesus Christ into an intellectual, purely intellectual venture. Now, hear me when I say that I am a fan of intellectualism. I I think that we as Christians need to use the brain that God gave us to know as much about him as possible. I'm a fan of the academy and studying and doing everything that you can to make yourself, show yourself as a worker approved and ready to go to use the abilities and, and the knowledge and the brain power and the intellect that God gave you to leverage for his kingdom and for the good of the world around you. But if we make the pursuit of God solely into an intellectual pursuit, we are missing the point completely. Because John does not say God is knowledge. Now, he could have said that. God is ultimately the one who knows all things. But the way that he describes God is that God is love. Let me put it this way. No matter how much you know about God, if you don't love, you don't really know God. Period. That's what John would say. That's what Paul would say as well, 1 Corinthians 13. You can have everything else that the world has to offer, but if you don't love, you are nothing but the sounding of a resounding gong. Nothing but a vapor. If there is no knowledge of love, there is no knowledge of God. To know God is to love. The one who loves knows God. John puts it in the negative The one who does not love does not know God. When we as the church fail to show love, we tell the world that we don't really know God. At least not like we pretend to. When we fail to show love, what we do, we show that what we do, the religious duties that we go about busying ourselves with, are done not for the sake of a relationship with God, not for the sake of loving other people, but because we belong to an organization or institution that's always done it this way. Maybe we make it a political cause or some kind of statement for the rest of the world, but it's not for the kingdom of God if it's not based in love. We ought to love each other as God has loved us, John tells us. When I wrote that line down, when I was making my notes for this sermon, we ought to love each other as God loved us. I stopped for a second and I thought that came off my hands into this computer way too easily. And it comes off my lips way too easily. And maybe it hits your ears way too easily. So stop and think about that. For a second, we ought to love each other as God has loved us. Do we love each other the way that God has loved us? How has God loved us? Self-sacrificially. Our our men's group that meets on Wednesday nights, just a a couple of Wednesday nights ago, we were sitting around and and we were thinking about the love of God and how he made manifest that love through Jesus Christ. And one of the guys in the room said something to the effect of being very real, and and, and I appreciated it because it it made such a, a, a good appreciation for the love of God in Jesus Christ. 
He said, you know, I, I like you guys, I appreciate you guys, but there's no way in the world that I would send my son to die for you. I don't love you that much, he said. And I can look at you and tell you all the same thing. I would like to think that I have the love of Christ within me and that I could love in that powerful way. But in my humanity, I can tell you that I would never send Corbin or Cannon to death for you guys. That there's something within me that, that, that wouldn't allow myself to do that. And, and maybe if that's what God called me to, he would do a work within me. But right now, I, I don't see that happening. But that's the kind of love that God is calling us to. To love others as he has loved us. And now, he's not calling you to go sacrifice your children. He's, he's not doing that. I don't think he's going to do that. But what kind of sacrifices is God calling us to that we look at and say, that's too much? What do we look at and, and say no to? Because here's where it really gets pretty trivial if you really stop to think about it. God actually sent his son to die, not just for us, but for us while we were his enemies while we were sinning against him, and while we were, in fact, rejecting a relationship with him, he tried to restore that relationship by sending his son to die for our sake. But in this world, the kind of love that we see in the world is a love that loves only when it gets something in return. Come on, you've loved that way, and I know you've been loved that way. That we only want to, to reach out to someone when we know that they're going to reach back when we know that we're going to have some advantage in having that loving relationship with them. What if God is calling you to love someone who's not going to love you back? Because that might be exactly what he's doing. If these words are true, that we are to love God, love each other as God has loved us. God sent his love to us, not knowing whether or not we were going to love him back. As a matter of fact, you can look around at the world and you can know that there is a big chunk of our population in this world that does not love him back. Yet Jesus died for them anyway. And if they would just turn, they would be saved. Are we willing to love when we're not going to get loved back? Are we willing to love despite the fact that others might not only not love us back, but might actually work actively against us? Again, that comes off our lips and hits our ears too easily to love as God has loved us. True love, true Christian love, loves despite the reasons not to. It always makes itself vulnerable. It always sticks itself out there. True Christian love is always in the red. Always in the red. In loving one another, we make the invisible God visible. God is the source of love. And if you're sitting here thinking to yourself, I can't love that way, you're right. But you're not the one who has to muster that love. That love has already been mustered. That love has already been poured out on the cross through Jesus Christ. And that love, if you are a follower of Jesus, resides within you today through the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. John says, no one has seen God, but, and he goes on to complete his thought about love, Perhaps the reason why God is so hard to see today is because the church is not loving as it should. 
Again, it's all about God. We love others not because they are awesome or they do wonderful things for us, but because God loves us and calls us to love others. Love comes from God and not from us. The church is simply the medium through which God has chosen to channel his love to a lost and dying world. You can't love like that on your own, but the love of Christ in you and through you can. How do I know that? Because I've read church history. I read of men and women who have laid their lives down for the sake of the lost and dying in this world, for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've read of people who have moved halfway across the world to a completely different culture, left everything behind that they know. We celebrate some like Lottie Moon in our own Baptist tradition. We read of these people and we see within them not the love of humankind, not the love of love songs and poetry, but the love of scripture, the love of the one true God, the love that we see solely in the person of Jesus Christ that is better than any other love that this world has to show us. So yes, you and you and all of you are incapable of loving that way, but we know that God is capable. Why? Because of the cross. And because God is capable and God lives in you, he can use you as the medium through which he will give that radical love to the rest of the world. And so I can look at you and I can say, I can never love you that way, but guess what? God can. And if he calls me to love you that way, he will empower me and he will finish that work within me in order to accomplish his love. It's not about me. That's what I'm hoping you see in this. When we talk about love and God loving us and us loving other people, God working through us, it's never about us. I'm not going to boast in how much I love. When we talk about our mission trip this week, we are happy, we are joyous, not because of what we have done, but because of what God did through us. Because God used us as a medium through which to share his gospel and his love, something that I could not do. And thank the Lord that he does not leave it up to me because I would mess it up royally. Can I get an amen from anybody in the house today? The church is the medium through which God has chosen to channel his love to a lost and dying world. And in the church, John says... God's love is perfected in us. Again, the Greek, that that idea, we don't really mean it in in the English sense of without error, even though that's there as well. But the main point of the idea of perfection is that it's completed. It's the same word that Jesus says, it is and it's finished. That's the Greek word perfect when he says that on the cross. It is brought to completion. In other words, this is what God intended all of the all of the while. To love us and for us to love each other. It's the two greatest commandments. Think Adam and Eve. God created us to live in perfect relationship with him and perfect relationship with one another. This has always been his goal. And the church is that goal made visible. God perfecting his love in us. God is love. And he shows us this love most clearly in sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to die upon the Roman cross of crucifixion in order to be what John calls the propitiation for our sins, to cleanse us from sin and to restore us to right relationship with God, something that we could not do on our own. A relationship we willingly walked away from by our own sinful choices. 
And because of this love and because of this restored relationship, we have been set free from our hell-bound trajectory and we have been guaranteed a life, an eternal life, in the presence of the one who gave everything for us. But this is not the end of the story. We are not the main characters in the story. God is love, therefore the love story must focus upon him. The love that he has given us is not to sit within our hearts and in our souls for our singular enjoyment, to sit idle within the pools of our hearts and grow stagnant like any pool without an outlet. No, we are meant to share that love with others to have the source of love coming through us, but also have an outlet of love coming out of us. We are to love just as God has loved us. God is love, and that love does not originate with us, nor should it stop with us. John is calling us to love others not through our own power, but to allow the love of God to pass through us to other people. Love is not ours to muster. God has already produced it. We are just the distributors. And so I'm asking you today to distribute the greatest good that has ever been created, and it is the love of God. There is one source, and you know him. You follow him. You pray to him. You read his word daily. You have that love within you. Don't let it stop there. Because in loving one another, we make the invisible God visible. We point beyond ourselves to the only true source of love in the universe. So who do you know that might look around the world and think, I don't see God. I don't see the love of God. Who do you know who needs to see the love of God? Who needs to have the invisible made visible to them? What is there that you need to do, an act of love for someone around you? So leave with this thought. Make the invisible love of God visible to someone this week. Someone in your home, someone in your workplace, someone in your group of friends, stranger. Make the invisible love of God visible to someone this week. Because the love of God has chosen to reside in you. Not for you to muster. He's already done the work. But you get to be the medium. So who can you pour that love out on this week? Who needs to see it afresh or maybe for the first time? That's what I want you to think about during our time of invitation. Who that someone might be and in what way you can make the invisible love of God visible to them this week. Again, as we enter into this time of invitation, think about, dwell on that question. I'll be down here to pray with you if you would like to come pray with me. After the service is fine as well. The altar will be open if you want to pray there, but you can always pray certainly where you are. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray. Bill and Lynn are going to lead us in our song of invitation. And as we do that, think about this question Who can I make the invisible love of God visible to this week? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us despite the fact that we obviously do not deserve it. And God, we boast in that. Not in our own loving ability, not in the things that we have done, but in what you have done.
and the love you have for us. And God, as we make that our boast, as we make that our declaration to the world, God, may you send that love to other people through us. God, we know it's not about us. We know we can't do it on our own. But God, I pray that you would use us in whatever way that you desire to love each other and the world around us. God, help the world see you through us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.